This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Ooh, very late. Okay. Um, we're going to start off, this will be our last piece. We're going to start off this week's parsha. It's Parsha's Chayisara. Um, very, very fascinating. Um, well, I don't have a chumash. Okay. Well, I'll tell it to you by heart. So, uh, when it, when it says that, that Avram Avinu, Right after he did the, right after he did the Akeda, so Sarah died. We're going to talk about why Sarah, why she died. The way we learn in school is that she died because she heard that they were bringing Yitzhak as a carbon, but that doesn't make sense. She was, she was just as great as Avram. So if she, if she heard that Hashem wanted Yitzhak to be worth a carbon, she should have been very happy, not, not died. So, um, and she's a big Tzedekistah. So if they said that, that Hashem was testing Avram and asking Yitzhak to be as a carbon, why would she die when she hears that? But most people learn that that's the way it happened, and we're going to learn a little bit much deeper tonight, very, very deep share, um, why she had to die, why there was no way that if, that she could live. We'll, we'll, we'll go through that. Um, so that's why this week's Pasha begins, by Yiyu Chayisara, Meishan Reshan Abishavashan, Mishnei Chayisara. She lived 127 years. But then it says that, um, that Abraham Avinu, when he, when he gave his eulogy, it says the Libchosa, he cried for her. But the, the chaf, in the libchosa, is a teeny little chaf. It's not the regular size in the Sefer Torah of a regular chaf, but it's a very small chaf. So why, did, why was it a small chaf? So Rashi says because he cried very little. That doesn't sound good, that a man got up to, 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 to eulogize his wife, and instead of crying a lot, he cried a little. That's, that's, not a, that's not a compliment to their marriage. Like if he really loved her, why isn't he crying a lot? So why is Rashi, why is the Mufashim telling us that the Chaf is to tell us that he cried a little? So, in, in, in Mayriv, in Mayriv we say, in Hashkivenu, Bohaser Satan Mufanenu Machmen, I know most girls don't dive in Arvid, don't dive in Mayriv, but if you look in your city and you look at Mayriv, in the, in the, the part that's called Hashkivenu, we say, Bohaser Satan Mufanenu Umeachrenu, remove the Satan from in front of me, and from behind me. So, what does that mean? From in front of me or from behind me? So the satan bef- in front of you is before you do that vera. Before you do that vera, he's in front of you and he's like, come on, let's, you know, let's party, let's have a good time, let's do something wrong. So he's in front of you. Me'achreinu means after you do that vera. After I do that vera, the satan leaves. Why do you have to remove, why do you have to remove him from behind me? You know, if we understand what it means, remove him from in front of me, don't, don't give me the Yetzirah to do something wrong, right? Don't give me the evil inclination in front of me before I do it. But after I did it, why do I have to remove him? I did it already. And not only that, we know that when a person does something wrong, there's a sin. So for like one second, you feel very guilty. You feel very bad. And then it's like, eh, it wasn't so bad. And your brain starts to figure out why it wasn't so bad. And uh, don't, you know, don't judge me. And you know, all the excuses come. But right after the sin, you feel bad. That one second. Why? So we learn in the, that, that the, the Satan, first he talks into doing the sin, and then, like a little rat, he runs to Hashem, and he, and, he, and he reports what you did. So he gets you to do the sin, and then he runs to Hashem to say, you know what, Rivka, I hope there's no Rivka here, but Rivka just did a sin, and look at the sin that she did. So first he's your friend, oh, let's do this, let's do that, and you're like, wow, this is so much fun, this is so great, and then he goes, gets you to do it, boom, he runs up, and, he, and he's like, Hashem, look what she did. So, in Kabbalah, it says that when the Satan 
leaves to tell on you what you did, so then you're only left with the gates of Taiv. You always have a battle inside your, inside your emotional, inside your spiritual body. You always have a battle. The battle is between good and bad. When the Yitzhahara leaves you to tell Hashem what you did, so all that's left in you is the good. The bad is in front of Hashem. So for the first second, you feel guilty because you only have a Yitzhahov. But a second later, he comes back, and then you're like making up excuses because he's back already. So, hi Ruth, how are you? Fushalema. So, so, let us sit a little, little, no. Yeah, but he's been here, he's been here since she got here. Right. What did he say? No, he's hanging, he's, he's hanging out. He's just, he's listening to the radio. He's taking it easy. He's getting paid, he's getting paid. What's the difference? Anyway, so, he's not leaving. He's sitting, he's sitting in front. He's sitting since, the, since 8.30. He dropped you off here? No. Oh, so he's just sitting waiting. Okay. You should have Rafu Shalema. You should see Mashiach with both your eyes, Amit Hashem. You don't have both eyes. Right, you realize how, you realize how, how much, yes, 100%. How, 100%. How those two eyes, so there's a, you don't mind if I use you as a, a Dvatara tonight. So there's, there's a Dvatara like this. Why, when you, when you, when you look at someone and you have an evil, and you give him an Ayin Hara, so the Tommy Menhagim asks, why is it called an Ayin Hara? You don't look at it with one eye. You don't look at someone and say, oh, I wish I had such a car. Right? You look at them with both eyes. So it should, it should say, a nayim ra. You don't look at a person with one eye. It's called ayin hara, one eye. It should be called a nayim ra. Right? So why is it called ayin hara? Because if you looked at someone with two eyes, you would never be jealous of them. Very nice, right, Walsing? What does that, what does that mean? Right? So Ruth can tell you, that mitzvah she should have refuah shalema. That what is what does the second eye give you? It gives you peripheral vision. In other words, you have one eye you could see. You could see everything in front of you. But you can't see the things on the side. You lose your peripheral vision. So the Talmud Hagim says that if you had peripheral vision, right, you were able to see the sides of what that person of what you're being jealous of. You would never be jealous of it. So eye in hara, it's only one eye. Because a person who looks at someone and they're jealous, it's for sure they don't have peripheral vision. Thank you, Ruth. That was not in my book to say tonight, but you gave me that. You, that's Dr. on high rents. And it's very true. It's very true. If you have peripheral vision, you don't, you're not jealous of anybody else. It's only if you can just see what's in front of you that, you know, that a person's jealous. Amit Hashem, Shishtab Taku Rufu Shalema in Gansan. Um, so where were we? So, so it says, Libchosa, it says that it's a small chaf, so it's, it's, it's sort of derogatory that a husband got up and he and he didn't speak much about his wife and he didn't cry a lot. So the answer is like this. So we say, "Remove the satan from in front of me and behind me. In front of me, before I do the avera, then I do the avera, and then after I do the avera. Why do you need to remove him after I did the avera? I did it already." So the answer is very fascinating. The answer is, you know, we say this in our davening. Because the satan, even if he loses in the beginning, he can still come back and win. For instance, there was this boy that I was a rebbe of. And he would not go to Minyan. He didn't go to Minyan for years. I begged him to go to Minyan. He, I, sometimes he didn't even daven. Like, he would not go for years. Finally, I nudged him. I nudged him. He used to come to my Tuesday night shear. And I nudged him. And I said, if you go to shear, if you come to davening by Landau's, I think it was a Friday, if you come to davening, I will, I will be there. And after Dominic, I will take you to breakfast. 
Oh, you go with me to breakfast? I will go to your breakfast, and it's on me, and you can order, you can go to Garden of Eden, they have these waffles, huge waffles with like three scoops of ice cream, and then three scoops of whipped cream, and then chocolate. I'm telling you, you sit there, sometimes I go there in the morning, there are kids, you can't see them. The waffle and the ice cream is like above their head. It's like, is there anyone behind that? So I'm like, so I told him, I said, I will buy you whatever you want. Okay, Rebbe, I'm going to come. Fine. He's an older guy, and he, and he, and he comes to shul, and Taki Davins, I, it was very late, it was like 11 o'clock, I, mean, I don't remember exactly, but it was very, very late, whatever it was. I had already Davin, but I, I, I was there, and I was, I was being mad with the center, whatever I was doing. Davin was over, I'm like, okay, you have a car here? He goes, yes, I'm like, okay, meet me on, on Avenue J by, by Garden of Eden, we're gonna go out to eat. He goes, I said, was it so bad? Just tell you the truth, you know, it wasn't so bad, it wasn't so hard, it was, the whole Davin was 40 minutes, eh, whatever, we walk outside. There's a fat ticket on his window. His inspection sticker was, 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 what's it called? He was parked in alternate side. It was like two tickets, $100. And he's like, I can't believe this. You see? He said, I, I, I appreciate you took me out for breakfast. You're going to take me out for breakfast. But Rebbe, look how much money this costs me. So I wish I didn't come to Diamond today. He says, you see how Hashem rewards me? And this guy, you see me, I have a bathroom in my house the wallpaper is all these orange envelopes. I'm not so careful about tickets. So I have like, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But this guy, but this guy is so mocked by like uh, every dollar, like a ticket by him is, so he's like, you see, I wish I wouldn't have come here. I wish I wouldn't have gotten down. Now I'm not in the mood to go out to eat anymore. I, I knew I shouldn't have listened to you. Oh, he did he give me a whole speech. <laughs> so I said to him, I said, that's what it says. And that's what it says when we pray. You fought the Satan. The Satan didn't want you to go to shul. You fought him. You beat him. Maybe together we beat him because I offered you breakfast, right? You beat him. So, so normally you should have said, okay, I lost. This guy's going to go to Ganadin or whatever. It's very hard for him to go to Davin. He went to Davin. The Satan's like, no, I still didn't lose. Because if I could get him to feel bad that he did the mitzvah, and say that he re- that he wishes he didn't do the mitzvah, he doesn't get the mitzvah. So me'achrenu means, remove him from in front of me, but also remove him after I do the good thing, that I shouldn't feel bad that I did the good thing. How many girls tell me, right, well, I was sneeze, and I'm a good girl, and I listen to you, and I went off Facebook, and I listen to you, I don't listen to non-Jewish music, and I get dressed the way I'm supposed to, and I dab it in the morning, and I'm 32 years old, and I'm not married. And 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 my best friends, they're already on their fifth kid. They're not sneezed. They wear pants. They they go to the movies every Saturday night. They're doing everything wrong. And look, they have a whole family. And I'm saying, I wish I was like them. I wish I didn't do this whole business, and I didn't go to seminary, and I would have had a boyfriend, and I would be married with a whole family. All her sneezes, and all getting on Facebook, and everything that she did, out the window. She gets no credit for it. Why? So you could say it's not fair. So, but I did it. But I did it. I gave a guy ten dollars to Dhaka, and I thought I had another twenty. And I go to the store to buy myself lunch, and I didn't realize that those ten dollars is all I brought today. And I'm looking at my wallet, and it's empty. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I wish I wouldn't have given him the ten bucks. Now I gave him the ten dollars. I have nothing for lunch, right? So I lose the mitzvah. What? He didn't have a credit card. This story. So, so he regrets that he gave the ten dollars. So it's like he didn't do it. But that's not fair. The mice did the mitzvah. He came to shul. So now he got tickets. So he regrets it. But Hashem give him credit that he came to shul. So who in here can figure out why, if you regret a mitzvah, 
you lose the mitzvah. Anyone here can figure out why? What do you think? He didn't do it for, for the full hot? No, he did it with the full hot. What do you think? Why, 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 why if you regret a mitzvah, you lose the mitzvah? You have a chance to take it back. If the show bring you back, you wouldn't have done it. What is that called? What is that called? Tshuva. So now, Hashem created that if you do an Avera, if you do something wrong, and you regret that you did something wrong, what happens? It's erased. So if you do something wrong, and you're like, I wish I wouldn't have done that something wrong, that's, that's tshuva, Hashem erases it. But on the other side, the Satan says, well, if she did something wrong, and she regrets it, and you erase it, then if she did something right, and she regrets it, you also have to erase it. So tshuva of a mitzvah that you did, that you did, and tshuva and avera have to work, have to coincide with each other. So we say, Hashem, do me a favor. Don't ever make me regret a mitzvah that I did. So that's for hasa satan And that's why, over here, Avram Avinu, the whole world knew that he did this big mitzvah, and what was his reward? That the, the, the his Sarah, his, his, his wife, his only, right? That he loved so much, died, so they all thought, he's gonna, oh, look what you did. You went ahead and you did this big mitzvah, and now your wife died. He's gonna regret it. So when he got up to, to eulogize her, he specifically did not want to cry. And he specifically did not want to say how bad he feels. Because if he said that, then the people would say, oh, see, even he feels bad, even he regrets that he did a mitzvah. So therefore the chaf and the is very small. And this is a very tricky thing in life. Because there's many times that we do the right thing and it doesn't look like it's going to pay off. You get a ticket afterwards. So I said there, first of all, it's your fault. Because you can't be angry at Hashem. You parked on the wrong side and you let your inspection sticker. You can't go 80 miles an hour and a 55 mile an hour and you're going to shul and you're like, how did I get a ticket? I was going to shul. You can't be negligent. You can't, you can't, you know, that you can't be negligent. But on the other side, I said to him, it's, it's yeah, now the Sutton, you beat the Sutton this morning. You got up and you went to shul and he was like, he thinks he beat me? Don't worry. I'm going to make sure that the cop who never walks down this block is going to walk down this block. He's going to walk out with two tickets. I said, you can't regret this mitzvah. It was so hard for you to do it. Just just say, it's like, you know, it happened. It's a satan. And satan, I don't care. I'm, I'm going to pay these two tickets. And I'm going to be so happy to pay these two tickets because these two tickets are my tickets to Ganeidin. That's what I told him. I said, those two tickets on your, on your, on your windshield, those are your tickets to Ganadin. If you're gonna, you're gonna feel bad about these two tickets, I said, you should pay them and make a, and make a, and and take me out to breakfast. I tried, it didn't work. Right? But, you should be happy that you got these two. That's, and we say it every single, we say it every time I dive in my riff, we say, don't, don't let the Sultan make me regret the good things that I do. But if you, what the, yeah, but he's not, he's not in that, uh, he's like, you can, he's like, he would tell me. Right, 100%, 100%. But he would tell me, you, so you get the kapara, he would tell me. He's a different kind of, uh, what were you saying? What do you want to say? Yeah. No, it just bothers me when, like, people say, oh, well, you could have, like, he's so forbidden a plane crash. Like, that didn't have to happen. Hashem chose you. We don't know. We have no, we have no idea. I'm, I'm, I'm always like that, you know. So, 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 so sometimes I come late to a plane. I want to know why I'm a little late to things, right? So, so it happened to me not that long ago that I, the earliest minion, the earliest minion in Landau's, which is like 
Talus and Tefillin, even before the sun rises. So to catch my plane, I had to, I had to go, I had to be that minion, but I had to mamish run out right after the minion. I didn't, I put on two pairs of Tefillin. I put on Rashi and Rabbeinu Tam. And I wouldn't have time to put on my Rabbeinu Tam. I'm thinking when I get to California, in the hotel room, I'll just put on my Rabbeinu Tams. But then I was diving, and I was like, and, and, and it's, cause when you don't put on your Rabbeinu Tams, you forget that you didn't put it on, cause you put it on every day, and you don't end up putting it on. So I was like, you know what? It's another ten minutes. I'll make it. There won't be traffic. I'll make it. I come to the plane. Gates closed. The worst feeling is when you're running down there and you get there and the gates closed and they take the plane and they just pull it like two inches away from the gate. Have a good day. You can't do anything. Gates closed. I missed the plane. It messed me up really big. Now, how do you think Rabbi Wallstein felt? So I say, shouldn't have put on the Rabbeinu Tam? Those 10 minutes. It was 10 minutes. They said, we just closed the gate. Those 10 minutes I put on my Rabbeinu Tam. So I, I'm sitting down like your thing and I'm like, ha <laughs> This plane is definitely going to crash. For sure. Hashem is going to punish me. I did something good. For sure the plane is going to crash. I'm going to come to Arnava and I'm going to tell everyone that here's my boarding pass. I missed this plane, right? Because I wore a metal top, everyone's going to be like, wow. Now there's a way to track a plane today to see where it lands. And I said to myself, I don't really want the plane to crash. A lot of people are going to die. So it's just going to be like delayed for five hours on the... You know, on the tarmac, with everyone going crazy, for sure. So, I don't have a computer, I have a little teeny phone. So I called up, it was JetBlue, I remember, you know, it was JetBlue, where it was. I called up and I said, flight 0123 to LA, it was supposed to land at 11, what time did it land? And they're like, hold on, and I'm thinking, probably 3, 4 o'clock in the afternoon, it definitely got delayed, and they're like, uh, it came in early at uh, 1040. I'm like, what? Yeah, 1040, it came in early, right? So here I am. Like you're saying, like it was, and I'm like, I don't know why I wasn't supposed to be on that plane. Maybe the person next to me had Ebola and they're going to call for me. I don't know. I don't, I, no, I'm serious. I don't, I don't know what the reason is. There's no way, there's no way in my heart and mind that I was punished because I put on Rabbeinu Tams. No way. So like you're saying, I don't know what, it's not, I, I don't run the world. I don't even want to run the world. I told you, I told that girl, she said, how do you know there's not two gods? I'm like, there's not two people, not two, who would want, who would want that job? Right? Who wants to be God? All day long, everybody complains to you, and the ones who don't complain to you don't believe you exist. Miserable job. Who wants to be God, right? So, so, you can't figure out Hashem, you know. On the other hand, on the other hand, someone would say, Rabbi Wallstein, you had a plane, it was supposed to leave at a certain time, right? You, 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 you should have put your Abel Tams in the hotel in California. That's what you should have done, right? So, then again, I was there, I was deciding, Hashem put that, that's I don't know what was on that plane, I don't know what was supposed to be on that plane, I don't know anything. You just, when you believe in Hashem, then everything that happens during the day, good, bad, late, early, whatever it is, you have, you have to believe in Hashem, that it's, that it's, that it's for the good. Today I went up to see a horse farm again. Amazing. I, we are so silly living in this city, you have no idea. I went up to about, it was about three, three hour ride. I went up to a place called New Lebanon. It's, uh, it's way up. It's on the, it's fun, it's interesting. It's right on the border with Massachusetts. So these, these farms that I went to look at to, to do my rehab. So one is in New Lebanon. One is in Canaan. It's called Canaan. I'm serious. I'm like, that would be nice. Tell everyone, come, you know, and one was in Egypt, not Egypt, Cairo, Cairo. So there's one city called Cairo, one city called Lebanon, and one city called Canaan. I was like, we should do a Pesach program up there. You know? We left with Triumph to go to Canaan, you know, to Eretz Canaan. It would be, it would be amazing. Hashem's Bria is not normal. I was up there on a 145 acre horse farm. 
where they breed where they breed horses and cows and and I was just standing out there and the mountains and it was like we got there like four o'clock so the sun was sort of setting and it's like it's Hakadosh Baruch Hu's bria just his natural bria just just the just the way he shaped the hills and I had pictures rolling hills and mountains and I was like. This is like, this is like, I want to make a bracha. I didn't know what bracha to make, but, you know, it was unbelievable. Unbelievable. Anyway, we'll see what happens with that. We're, you know, we're working on it. I want to open up a... What's happening to the horses? Horses are beautiful. No, are they the horses are staying. Of course the horses are staying. Of course. Not only the horses staying, but the people who run the farm, I don't know how to bale hay, and I don't know how to brush horses. So they, they, they would stay, but we would, we would bring the school in there, and they would teach them how to, you know, how to deal with horses and cows and goats. It was amazing. Yeah. It was amazing. And the funny part is here you have myself and um, Esti Zichemin, who works for us, and Yankee, Yankee Elephant, my brother-in-law. So it's like two guys, two Jewish guys with yarmulkes and, and white shirts and ties, right? And we get out of the car, and these people are looking at us like, what would they want with this farm, you know? And I explained to them what we're doing, whatever it was, but they were looking at us like, you, you're like, you're, you're investing? Are you looking to invest? So I was like, no, we're looking to, to make a healthy place. It's just healthy. If you had no therapy and you did nothing there, and you just live there, you, you, you'll have your refuah. Hashem created the refuah in the Bria. The problem is that we don't live in the Bria. We live in concrete, and we live in these silly metal little things that have digits on it. We don't live in His creation. We live in our creation. Our creation... Our creation is depressing, demoralizing, dark. You can't... Uh, the nicest brick building in the world didn't come close to one mountain that I was looking at at 4 o'clock. The nicest brick building, the World Trade Center, is a bunch of steel and rocks. You cannot, you cannot create what God created. The human being so far from creating just, just a mountain and the way they're called rolling hills was just so magnificent, such Bria's Hashem. Yes, what do you want to ask me? No, I wanted to say something about that. You would have come up with me, you would have written a poem, Nechama, forget about it. I, I went this past week to Rockland County with my friends of 40 years. One is a sculpturist, and the other is a holistic healer. And we went to Bear Mountain to see the fall fall foliage. my spot. And it was gorgeous. And Not only gorgeous, I just want to say this quick thing, I know you were busy, but... There was a trunk of a tree embedded in a boulder. You, you couldn't make a sculpture like that. He's, it was he's, amazing. He's the sculpture of all sculptures. It was amazing. You know the story with, um, with uh, I don't know if I should talk about it, with Michelangelo. So Michelangelo did the system. But, right, but he, also, he was also a sculptor. So he, he sculptured a, an elephant with tusks. It was a very famous story. And people would go by and think that it's a real elephant. That's how he was, that's how good he was. So, a person, someone asked me once, what does it mean to be a real Jew? Right? How, how do you become a real Yid? A real, how do you become a real Jew? How does a person become a real, what do you do? So, this is the answer, I heard this was an amazing answer. So they asked Michelangelo, how does one sculpture such a perfect elephant? That you took a rock, a stone, and you made it look exactly like an elephant. You know what he answered? The Chama. He said, it's easy. You take a big stone, and all you do is chip away all the stone, everything that isn't elephant. And then you'll be left with an elephant. To become a righteous Jew, 
All you do is chip away at all the things that aren't Jewish. All the nonsense from Hollywood and all that stuff. You chip it away, you chip it away, you clip it away. And all of a sudden, what are you left with? The correct, the correct Jew. It was brilliant what, it was brilliant what he said. So, so, it, so it, it, I find I connect to Hashem through his, through his, through, through what he created. And the human being can't create a sunset. We can't create a sunset. We can dim the lights, right? We can do, turn the lights down and dim the lights, but we can't create a, create a sunset. It was, Gorgeous. And I was very excited about it until they told me that, yeah, sometimes when you get up in the morning, there's a couple of beers on your doorstep. I'm like, uh-huh. Okay, we'll have to talk about this, you know. These girls, I don't know if exactly that's what they want to see in the morning, but we'll see, you know. Gorgeous. Just absolutely. Hashem, you just drive up to these mountains. It's like, wow. Anyway, yes. Right, 100%. 100%. The question is, what are all those animals in the cages thinking when they see us? They want to put us in the cage. They're like, why are they talking into those metal boxes the whole time while they're looking at me? Uh-huh. Right? Anyway. So, um, so anyways, I was just telling you, so I was, so I was driving up this, this highway, and the same one that I talked about last week, and it has a 55, a 55 mile an hour speed limit, and they have cop police all over the place. And I'm driving, not exactly 55, because it's a three and a half hour ride and it's straight and it's like a long ride. And so I was, I was doing a little more than the speed limit, so to say. And I'm talking to my brother-in-law while I'm driving. And then all of a sudden we got onto this subject and I was trying to remember three, three things that I would remember from 10th grade biology. So when I'm, when I'm talking to him and I'm trying to remember, of course you're not focusing on the road. So you take your foot off the pedal a little bit. So instead of doing over the speed limit, while well, those two minutes I was talking to him, I was trying to concentrate, my speedometer went down. And I passed a cop that was up behind the trees taking radar that had I not been speaking to my brother-in-law at that point, I definitely would have been pulled over. I don't know if I would have gotten a ticket because whatever. And I said to myself, I said, Hashem, that at this moment I was talking to him because the whole time I was going pretty fast. Right? At that moment I was talking to him, I just, I didn't realize that you take your foot off because I wasn't concentrating on the road. I was talking to him and Baruch Hashem, I drove by and I was like, hey, what's going on? You know, no problem. Everything was good. So every second of your day, every minute, every second of your day, is connected to Hakadosh Baruch Hu. So, so what's Melachrenu Melfanenu and 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 what's you know what's the question? You missed the plane. You expect it to crash? No, it doesn't have to crash. You don't have to have a story. You don't have to have a story. You don't have to write a book. Every second of a person's life is a story. And after 120 years, we're all going to feel really bad because all of us who don't believe, or all of us who think Hashem is this and that and the other thing, you're going to watch a movie. You're going to see trees fall. Right after you take a step by them, you're going to see why you went through this and who you went through this, and you're going to look at that and say, Hashem, I'm really sorry. I just didn't know that you, that every second of my life that you were involved, I, I didn't realize. I'm sorry for being angry. Too late to do tshuva in that world. And that's why the Mishnah Pirkei says, one second of tshuva in this world, one second of, of feeling bad about what you did in this world is worth more than the whole Ganeid, the whole Olam Haba. Why? Because you're going to stand up and you're going to go like, Hashem, I'm really sorry. Too late. You can't do tshuva in that world. You can't be sorry in that world. Yes. With the boy that had got the ticket, right? So let's say... It happens all the time, by the way. Because the something wants you to feel bad when you do something good. he goes home and he thinks about it and then he says, I regret that I was going to Does he then get the Does he get it back? Double reverse? A double reverse regret? Does he then get the because he regretted it. So all the people that hear the share tonight and they regret their regret, they'll get it back. 
Because tshuva works that way. Hundred percent takes time, right? Hundred percent, and that's why the tzaddikim made a cheshbon anefesh at night before they went to sleep. So I want to tell you, I'm speaking tomorrow night. I don't know why they invited me back, but they did. I'm speaking tomorrow night in the Aguda convention on chinuch of not of schools, but of, of, of parenting and the whole chinuch world. And they gave me some questions already that were that you were so. For the last three weeks, I didn't talk about it because I was working on it in my brain. And I was just trying to figure out why social network is such a hot item. Why Facebook is so huge. I mean, the stock, I'm, you know, financially, the stock is going crazy. And, and why is this, why is this, you know, we're all, we're all struggling with the cell phone, with the, with the being on the internet for five hours, with you know walking into walls because we're looking at our phone, it's mamish. If you know because I talk about it, so I look, I watch it. I went out to eat with my wife the other night. There wasn't a person in that restaurant that wasn't on their phone. They weren't even looking at each other. So you won't realize that, but I look at that. And guys in shul, and it's just, just. So why? Why did all of a sudden this just take over the world? It didn't take over the Jew. It took over the whole world. Social network phones. What was the kayak? What's the kayak of it? I spent the last three weeks on this. I like to think, and I like to watch, and I like to read. And I figured it out. And it's a very big problem in our, in our chinuch system. It's a very big problem in our family system. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you why it works. So when I give a share like tonight, so, it's not interactive. Usually I don't, let, I don't let anybody ask any questions. And the reason I don't let anyone ask questions during my shear is what happens if the Chama asks a question, then there's some girls in the back, first of all, some of us are ADD, number one. So the minute somebody asks a question, you change the channel, we can't come back to the channel. I am ADD, so I understand that. So my Rebbe, people, people don't understand ADD at all. I'm not talking about ADHD jumping up. People don't understand ADD. What is ADD, right? They think people with ADD are not smart. Just the opposite. Usually they're very smart. But what, what is ADD? ADD is like this. It's, it, when, when, when a person with ADD, like a woman said to me, my son doesn't have ADD. I said, how do you know? He can watch a movie for three and a half hours without moving. So it must be he doesn't have ADD. I'm like, I'll test him. And I tested him and he had ADD. And the answer is like this. The way ADD works like this. So everyone in their brain, we have a switch. And that switch works like this. I could talk to you about Chai Sara. Then I could switch and tell you about my ride on the, on the highway today. Then I could say, by the way, I want to announce about the Shabbaton. So the regular person, your brain can keep going subject, subject to subject to subject. And I could keep talking about all these different subjects. And you can go back and forth and back and forth. But ADD, we don't have that, we don't have that switch. So if you talk to me about a, if I'm watching a movie, I can watch it for three hours. But if you change that channel, right? Or if in the middle of the movie, you stop the movie and we like go to eat lunch. I'm lost. I, I have no patience to watch the rest of that movie anymore. Why? Because once, once you change that channel, you change that subject, I don't have the bridge to go back to that. I don't have that switch. So what happens in class when a kid is learning, and you're saying the Gemara, Whatever you're learning, biology, you're learning about one subject, and somebody raises their hand. Um, and she asks a question. Now, once I am not focused on what the teacher is saying, she asks the question, I can't come back. When the teacher starts speaking again, I can't come back to what she's saying. So what happens is, being that I can't come back, I dream. The minute you're asking a question, I'm off. And I'm dreaming. And once I'm dreaming, now the teacher's back 
to me it's blah, 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 because I'm already somewhere else. That's ADD. You don't have that switch to go subject to subject to subject to subject and be able to come back to the first. And that's why many times, it's very interesting, I got an email last week and this guy writes to me, he says, I've been listening to you for four years and I am a therapist and I keep saying, Wallerstein is ADD. <laughs> but I didn't have the chutzpah to send you an email or call you. But two weeks ago in the boy's share, I spoke about this. And he says, and now that you said it, I just want you to know that I knew this. Because sometimes in your shiurim, you ask a question in the beginning, and you just don't come back to it. And sometimes you say something, and you just don't, you go off, and you just don't come back to it. He says, so I was, I've been following you. I know your shiurim. He says, and I knew that, you know, that you're, so what I do, what I do so that doesn't happen is I write now on a piece of paper. Always when I speak, I don't write the words. That I, write, I just write the topic. So that I'm like, at the end, like, the people come over to me and they're like, you didn't answer the question. <laughs> this happened on Avina Malkano, by the way. There was a certain question that I asked, and people came over to me and said, like, Rewasi was a great chip, but you didn't answer the first question. Right? So, so what happens when you, when you give a shear, so there, so if the Chama asks a question, which I would love to answer, there are three or four or five girls in here that I lost for the rest of the shear. They're dreaming about school, or, you, you can't control that, and I can't get them back. So I know that because I made so I, I and what happens is if her question doesn't pertain to the five girls in the back, they're gone. We lost them. So I've also found with this class, with all the classes that I teach, that if I take the safer and I take my glasses off and I start reading from inside, half of you are gone. So as long as I'm eye contact with you and I'm talking to you like this, you're awake. The minute I put my head down and start reading, I lose half the girls in this room, whether it's my class or my boys or anybody else. Why? Why do I lose half the room? You're not ADD, you're regular. Why do I lose half the room? And the answer is that as, as human beings, we need, when we, right, to be interactive. We were created to be interactive. That's why you have ears to hear and a mouth to speak. If I were to come into this room and tell everybody, okay, I have, I have a fantastic idea. I have a new phone for all of you. Now this phone that you have, you can only get texts. You can't text out. You can only hear the other person, but you can't talk into the phone. You say, well, Austin, I'm not interested. But you can get a thousand texts a day. All your friends can text you. Everything, but, but if you can't interact, you can't text them back, so then you feel unrecognized. You feel like you don't exist. That, that they're texting me, this is a very important point. That they're texting me or that I'm that I'm talking to you doesn't give you a fulfillment that you exist until you talk back to me. It's a relationship. Until you talk back to me. So if I keep talking and talking and talking and talking and talking, right? So I'm giving you a class, I'm giving you a class, I'm giving you a class. You don't have a relationship with me. One of the, one of the, one of the problems that I found speaking in public, right? And I go around speaking in public is at the end of the day, they're not my students. I miss my classroom. I taught for 30 years, eighth grade boys. I was in my classroom. I spoke to them. They spoke to me. We had a relationship, right? It was an interactive relationship. So they felt that there's somebody and they, there's a, right? And that was, and those were my boys. And that was my Rebbe. So to me, these are my boys. And to them, this is my Rebbe. What happens when you go around and you speak in public, they're not my girls. There's no interactive. I gave a speech and you walked out. That's not really what Ornava's about. And what, when we started Ornava, there was a lot of, a lot of, a lot of interaction. Along came, I don't know if it's the Eight Sahara, 
whoever, whoever invented the internet and all this other stuff and said, people need to be recognized. So if I could create a media where every time they get, someone tells them something, they can tell you something back. And then that back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and it becomes interactive. They're going to ditch class where some guy's just talking at them. They're going to ditch home where their mother's just talking at them. And they have no input. Really, a, 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 a kid doesn't have input till when? Till they're married and they have an input to their children because now they're doing the same thing. They're talking, 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 but they're not listening. Right? So a, a, a person doesn't have input until they're married because you go to school and you have a teacher and the teacher teaches you and you write notes and then you memorize it and then you get a test and then you memorize more and then you get another test. Then you come home and your mother tells you do this, do that, do this, do that. Why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? Make sure you do your homework. You have no say. You have no interaction. So there's no real you. Along comes a phone. And every time your friend texts you, you text her back. And then she texts you, and you text her back, and then you get an email, and then you email her back. So all of a sudden there's a new world where you exist. Until now everyone's talking to me, but I'm not talking to them. Now we created this new world where I can talk to them as much as they talk to me. Boom. Two billion, twenty billion people are on, are on social network. That's the whole secret. That's the whole secret. So what do we have to do? We have to create Something even better than that, because that social, that social media is typing, is letters and words. If we could do interactive parents with your children, and once in a while, let their children say Advat Torah, let their children have an opinion. What do you think mommy should buy? Take your children shopping for Shabbos. You pick. I, t- I t- spoke this about a long time ago. Kids have no interest in Shabbos. Kids have no interest in Shabbos. Right? They're very bored. I love Shabbos. I'm crazy about Shabbos. My parents, my father, whether he did it on purpose or by accident, I'd like to believe he did it on purpose. He was a pretty smart man. He made Shabbos interactive. From when I was five years old till I was 13 years old, every Friday night, me, my sister, my brother made a Shabbos play. He said, after the meal, me and your mother are going to sit down on the couch and we expect a, a, a good Shabbos play five minutes. And me and my brother and my sister, we'd get dressed and we'd have props and, and we'd put on the Shabbos play. So I was an actor. I was on stage when I was a little boy, when I was five years old. But Shabbos was interactive. It wasn't my father sitting there, Vatoira, Rashi. No, he, he made it into, and we had Shabbos games and Shabbos contests. And then when I got older, I did the shopping for Shabbos. So I'm not sitting at the Shabbos table and my wife's putting out the food and I have nothing to do with it. So if I have nothing to do with the food, then I'm, then it's not part of my life. It's not part of my life. But if I went to pomegranate and I picked out the fruit and I picked up the chalas and I did all that, so when the, it's put on the table, I had something to do with this. I was interactive. I bought the challah. I, it's, I'm part of it. So the problem is kids come to the Shabbos table and that whole table has nothing to do with them. So imagine if a mother took her daughter when she was very young and said, you pick the flowers for Shabbos. It's a very different Shabbos for that girl because she's going to keep looking at the flowers in the vase say, I picked that tati, those roses, I picked those roses. They smell good. She becomes part of it. But if she comes home and, and, and the help made the kugel and the help did all that and she, she had nothing to do with Shabbos, so how do you expect that child to love Shabbos? And she's living in an interactive world where she has a say in everything. She can go to a, to a, to a chat room Right? And nobody even knows her in the chat room, and everyone's listening to her. 
She just types in, and they're all answering. And she types in. So imagine you can walk into a classroom, you can walk into a room, you know, most human beings are a little bashful. So imagine a girl would just walk into this room right here and say, I'd like to tell you all my opinion on Rabbi Wallerstein's share. No, no, you're going to be like, who are you? Sit down. You know, who are you? I don't know you. Right? But in a chat room, without even who you are, because you can make up your name, whatever it is, you're in there with opinions about how Hashem created the world. There are these crazy chat rooms. All of a sudden, you're a genius and you're a scientist. You happen to be six years old, but you're, you know, and, 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 and you're making believe you who knows what. You can become anyone you want. It's an interactive world. And when you're interactive, it means that you exist and you belong. That's it. That's why everyone's crazy about it. That's why everyone's crazy. If I told you, you can only get emails, you can't send emails, you can only get text messages, and you can only get phone calls, you tell me, well, I'm not interested in that. I'm not interested. I'd rather go to the zoo and interact with the monkeys. At least, <laughs> at least when I give them a banana, they, 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 you know, they say something to me. I'm very, very serious about this. So, in my head, if that's what, if that's what that world is, if we could make our world into, into a human being interactive, actually talking to each other, and, and allowing people to have an opinion, and allowing people, it's one of the biggest problems that I have in my shirim, is that, that I would love to have a shir, just, you know, the most fun that we have on the Or Nava Shabbaton, the most fun everybody will tell you, is ask the rabbi. Ask the rabbi on the Shabbaton starts at 11 o'clock, at night, we have five rabbis. Girls can ask for every two chakras. It ends at eight o'clock. Rabbi Skaist, Rabbi Lamb, Ezra Max, and Rabbi Freeman, they daven with, I'll tell you how smart we are. So I, I can't. After three o'clock, girls are asking me like, why do you have to wear a wig? And I'm like, I think the popcorn here is amazing. I don't even know what I'm talking about anymore. So at that point, I realized at three o'clock that I need to go to sleep. But the other rabbis are there till chakras. So chakras is eight thirty. So all the years, the guy, the rabbim used to sit there and girls, we're talking about 200 girls starting the room, right? They would sit there till 8 o'clock and ask the rabbis. And like these guys would be wiped out. And then 8 o'clock we would daven and then there would be classes. These rabbis were, they, they couldn't see straight. They were walking into walls. So we came up with this brilliant idea. The rabbis were all going to daven Vosikin. Vosikin's like at 5 o'clock, right? They're all going to daven Vosikin. So by 5 o'clock, nobody can ask them any more questions. And then they daven at 5 o'clock and then they go to sleep and they wake up for lunch. So, I can't keep girls in a room from 11 to 8. That's nine hours. If I gave you a nine-hour share, trust me, ADD, not ADD, you're not here anymore. <laughs> I'm not here anymore, you're not here anymore. But nine hours, and the place is on fire because they always pick up. All us rabbis, we all have different opinions, so they like to pick on questions. With me and Rabbi Skase, they're going to fight, and Rabbi Miller, and we all have these, these different opinions. So what's going on in that room? The place is on fire. It's 11 o'clock at night, and the answer is, it's interactive. So every single girl in the room has a right to ask a question. Nechama, you have to say, That's it, and reach for the stars, and you're there. Thank you very much. Okay? And I'll make sure it's taken care of. Thank you. With a beautiful cover. Yes. You'll be very proud of it. And Barnes and Noble. And Barnes and Hashem, they're my people. Oh, okay, Mitz Hashem. It'll be it'll be very soon. I know I keep promising to. We're going to make sure. Maybe it'll be the goodbye present from uh, from Avivit. Oh, okay, she's leaving in two weeks. In two next week, two weeks. Yeah. Okay, Hatzlacha. Have a good Shabbos. Okay. So yes, it's taking very long. This really wasn't my subject matter tonight. Um,
So I want to just tell you, I want to tell you one, un, well, there's a lot to tell you, but I want to tell you one unbelievable shot. Um, but I'll this, on this week's Pasha. So, we talk a lot about Mida, Kenege, and Mida, right? And how did Sarah really die? What's the real story of how she died? So it's really different than the way that most people think. I'll just tell, uh, I'm going to lose half of you now. Sorry. Um, so I'm going to just tell you very, very fast. This is what happened. The Satan came in the demus of an Adam Zak, and he came, and he looked like an old man. And he came on a camel. And he said to Sarah, Don't you know what happened to you? She said, I don't know what happened to me. Your husband took your, your special son, and he built him his bayach, and he tied him down, and he shafted him. So the something came dressed as an old man. This is what he tells, and this is what he tells um, Sarah, and he says, You should know that Yitzhak was crying, which wasn't true, he was lying to Satan. And he was crying that, I, that his father should have rocked him and had pity on him. And he didn't listen to him, and he killed him. When Sarah heard this, she began to cry. Okay, she didn't kill herself, she didn't, she didn't die, she didn't, she didn't cry. And she said, I don't know if this is true. I don't know if this old man is telling me the truth. So she went to Hebron, and in Hebron, she asked, did anyone see my husband? Did anyone see my husband? Did anyone see my son Yitzhak? And they said, no. Then there were these three giants. Um, and she, she went to these three giants, and she said, they were called Achima and Shashai Betalmai, and she said, giants, can you look, do you see my husband? Do you see my son? And they said, we see an old man that's going with three, three kids, which was Yishmael, Eliezer, and, and Yitzhak. And we see that there's a boy that's being tied up, being put on an altar, and we see that the old man has a knife in his hand. Okay? So that's what they told her. And the Satan came back, came to her, and he came as an angel, and he said to her, I want you to know that what I told, what that old man told you, that Yitzhak was killed, is not true. He wasn't killed, and he's alive. And from her, and from her simcha, from her simcha, that her son was still alive, her, her neshama went out. Now, I don't have time tonight. If you want to hear the, the shear, the real shear on the whole Gilgal of Sarah and who was Chava, who was Yitzchak, and the neshama ended up in the, in the aisle, and when he shechted the aisle, it went into Rivka, and that's why Sarah had to die, because Sarah and Yitzchak and, 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 and Chava were one neshama. Go to, go to last night's shear. It's already up on Torah anytime, and you'll hear that whole thing, but that's not the point I want to get to. So why such a why such a funny way the Sultan is the Malcham of us, right? Why such a funny way of killing of killing of her dying? It's very weird. He told her that he's being he, he came as an old man. He said he's dead. Then he came back as a, an angel and said what the old man told you isn't true. I saw him. He's alive. Everything's okay. And then she died. Why why in such a weird way? Unbelievable. Because everything Hashem does is mida connected mida. I don't have a chumash in front of me, but you have to trust trust me what I'm about to tell you. So when Hashem told Avram Avinu that Sarah was going to have a child, she laughed. She laughed. So Hashem said to Avram Avinu, Loma Tzachakta Sarah. Right? Why is Sarah laughing? So Sarah said, Loit Tzachakta, I did not laugh. And Hashem said, no, you did laugh. So she denied it, right? And Hashem said, no, you did laugh. Now the question is, how could she deny it? She's talking to Hashem, how could she deny it? And the answer is, Hashem said, you laughed. She said, I did laugh. I didn't laugh in its, in its chayk. There's two different laughs. If you're happy, you laugh. 
And then there's a laugh, it's like, like you, you're making fun of, like, you don't believe it, right? So, so you won a million dollars. Yeah, right. <laughs> right? You don't believe it. And then there's a laugh, like, you know what? It was a big simcha. We just, we just got news that, you know, your daughter just gave birth. And you're like, wow, <laughs> that's so great. You, and you, so there's two kinds of laugh. So Hashem said, you laughed. She said, no, no. I didn't laugh like that. I didn't laugh like that. I laughed from simcha, not from, from not believing. She was machishit. Hashem said, no. But I know the deep in your heart. It could be that you laughed from simcha, but deep down you didn't believe. Deep down the laugh came from a place like, right, this is not going to happen. That, right? So what's the Mida connected Mida? It was an Avera for Sarah on that level to deny the truth that she laughed because deep, deep down she didn't believe was sort of for her an Avera. So Hashem said, I want, I want, a, I want a kapara. She has to be forgiven. How is she going to be forgiven? She's going to die by a denial. She denied that she really laughed. How did she die? The Satan denied that the first original Besura that he said, he said wasn't true. In other words, the man that came to you and told you this, it isn't true. She said to Hashem, I laughed? That's not true. I didn't laugh. That was her Avera. She denied the truth. So her Kapara was, she died when the Satan denied the truth. Mida, Kenegan Mida. You, your Avera was through denial, your death will be through denial. That the Satan ended up denying, and that's how she died. And that was her, that was her Kapara. But Lamaisa, it's a very, very big week this week in Eretz Yisrael, because it's Pashish Chayisara, and there are tens of thousands of people in Mar'as Machbela, in, uh, in Hebron. It's a very, very big week. And it says that, oh, I'm going to tell you something tonight. One more thing, a second, that's going to blow you away. I told it to the boys last night. And it says that the, the Tchir Samesim, where's Tchir Samesim going to start? In the Marasa Machpelah. So I just want to tell you something. You're going to go home and you're going to say this, and they're going to tell you that Rabbi Wallenstein is not right. They're going to use probably different words than that, but that he's totally out of his mind. I'm going to tell you something that Nobody knows unless you learn Chidah, and even people with Chidah don't know this. Who's buried in the Marasamach Pela? Everyone here knows? It's called, Marasamach Pela was in Kiryas Arba. Why was it called Kiryas Arba? There were four sets of people that were buried there. Adam and Chava, Avram and Sarah, Yitzhak and Rivka, and Yaakov and Leah. Right? Everyone knows that? Four sets of people, you go there, Yitzhak, Yaakov, Avram, Adam, right? Right? And Esau's head. Well, I'm going to tell you something tonight that even Miriam doesn't know. And Miriam knows a lot. You ready, Miriam? There's another couple buried in the Mars of There's another couple buried in the Mars of Anyone have any idea who? Okay, so now I'm going to tell it to you. And if you're going to go home and tell your husbands or your fathers or your rov, they're going to tell you Rabbi Wallstein made a big mistake. But I'm going to tell you where to show it to them. And then, so the Chidah says... That Moshe Rabbeinu and Tzipporah buried the Ma'aras of Machpelah. Rabbi, that's, that's insane. No one knows where Moshe's buried, right? Okay, until now. No one knew, no. But I'm kidding, I'm kidding. So here, you ready? Listen to this. Wow. Chidah. So if you want to look it up, and you're going to have to look it up, because I'm going to get 800 emails, like it's impossible, right? It's, um, it's, Chayisar and the Chidah, Chaf Dalad, Perek Chaf Dalad. This is what he says. El Ma'ara Sadeha Machpelah. So Avram Avinu it says, and he went to bury her where? El Ma'ara Sadeha Machpelah. In the 
cave in the field of the Machpelah. Kasav Rabbeinu Eliezer Megirmiza, Bixiva Siad. He does said, I saw this. I didn't hear this. I saw it in his own handwriting. Ma'aras Sdei HaMachpelah. Ma'aras Sdei Ma'aras, the first letter is a Mem. Sdei, the first letter is a Shin. HaMachpelah, the first letter is a He, which spells Moshe Rabbeinu. Ma'aras Sada HaMachpelah is the Rosh Teves of Moshe. He says, V'hamasku Yavan, and the intelligent person will understand. He says, but he says, I'll tell you even more. He said, and here he says, he says, in Vizayt Sabrach and the Sefer Hatmuna, the Moshe Rabbeinu all of Hashalom with Sipora, Moshe Rabbeinu all of Hashalom and Sipora, Nigburu were buried with Ma'aras Hamachpela Eitzel Avas Ha'Elam. Were buried with the our forefathers. They were buried in the Ma'aras Hamachpela. Now we have a very big kasha, right? And the very and by the way, the word El Moshe, which is Rosh Hashanah, is Ma'aras Sadeh Machpela, is the Gemara Sipora in Machpela. Okay, whatever he has, he has different. So he has a kasha. And his kasha is, it's called Kiryas Arba. There are five couples, it should be called Kiryas Chamisha. So why is it called Kiryas Arba? So he answers that it's called Kiryas Arba because those four people were buried when they died. So it's their original burial place, the original burial place of Adam and Chava, Marasamach Pela. Sarah and Avram, Marasamach Pela. Yitzhak and Rivka, Marasamach Pela. Yaakov and Leah, Marasamach Pela. Avraha, um, Moshe Rabbeinu and Sipora was not their original place where they were buried. They were brought with Malachim after they were buried. This is, uh, this is a chidah. So when you go home for Shabbos, you can sit down and say, by the way, what other couple besides the four couples were buried in Marasamach And they're going to tell you, it's a trick question, there is no such thing. There is no other couple. We go to Eretz Yisrael, it doesn't say Moshe, and it doesn't say Tzipora, and you can tell it, well, look it up in the Chidah, Perich of Dalit, and it says that Moshe Abenu was buried in the Maras of But when I finished my shir last night, one of the boys came out to me, he says, Rebbe, I have a very big question. And the question is that in Pashat it says that until this day, no one knows where Moshe Abenu is buried. So if the Chidah is telling us he's buried in the Maras of right? Then we do know where he's buried. So it's a very good question that I have to look into. And there's a Yalkut Ruvaini on this, but it's very befeirish that Moshe Rabbeinu's body was taken to the Ma'arasamachpela and Sipora. It makes sense. It makes sense because if Tchias Hamesim begins in the Ma'arasamachpela and it brings down in some Kab- Kabbalistic Svarim that when Mashiach comes. Even that Moshe Rabbeinu is Mashiach. I'm not sure exactly what, what, but that, that when Mashiach comes, Moshe Rabbeinu is coming at the same time. So he, if he's having Tchias Amesim, and he's a, the first Tchias Amesim comes from Marasa Machpelah, must be that he's in the Marasa Machpelah. But there's a Chidah that says that Moshe and Sipar are buried in Marasa Machpelah. Bezrat Hashem, we should find out if he is or not in the very near future with the coming of Tchias Amesim and Mashiach. Thank you. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.